Hey, it's Pastor Jeffrey Graff with Faith Family Church Next Gen. Thanks for tuning in. I hope this message brings truth, clarity, and hope to your situation. God loves you very much, and I hope you feel that today. Enjoy the podcast. It's good to be with you. This is the last week in our series, The Person God Uses. We've been studying the life of David. Help me out, everybody. Say David. And we've been talking about the good and I keep saying we're going to talk about the bad and the ugly, but really we haven't talked about the bad yet. We just talked about the good. So today I'm going to show you one of David's greatest mistakes, one of his most costly sins. Uh, but before I get into that, I have a question. Have you ever done something and it started very innocently and then it just spun out of control? And you're like, I don't know how we got to this point. When I was a sophomore in high school, I was in math class. And I heard my teacher talking, whatever. And it wasn't even my conversation, but I was just kind of snooping on the side. And I thought I heard her say that she was pregnant. So I interjected. Oh, my gosh, Miss A, congratulations. I'm so proud of you. We never thought you could do it. Like all this stuff. And I said, you're going to be such a good mom. And she's looking at me like a blank stare. And she was like, I don't know what you just heard me say, but I'm not pregnant. And I don't know why I did this. But with, before I could even think, I just looked her in the eye and I said, well, I'm starting a rumor that you are. <laughs> and she was like, no. And I was like, like, I could see it, man. Like, it was a vision in my head. It's great. And so I was like, it's too late. So for the next two days, the next two days, man, I'm going around everywhere. Hey, Miss A's pregnant. Text her, congratulate. Making up backstories, y'all. Like, they couldn't do it. It was crazy. But the Lord came through. Right? That didn't happen. I didn't do all that. But I did tell her, like, hey. I told everybody, text her, let her know, show her some love, all this stuff, right? For two days, because we were on a block schedule, like A days and B days. So I get back there, uh, you know, not the next day, but the following day. And she's just like this. And I'm like, hello. And she's like, I have been answering countless texts informing people that I am not really pregnant. And then she points y'all to this huge bouquet of flowers on her desk. Like, I'm talking, like, huge, like, the kind that, like, when the boy buys it, you're like, bro, you tried too hard, okay? That kind. And it said, congratulations. He was like, somebody wasted probably $100 because of your lie. And I was a little proud. But at the same time, I was like, ah, this got out of control. Um, have you ever done that? Maybe not to that degree. Hopefully, you're normal, unlike me. And it wasn't that. If somebody done that specific. We need to be friends. But you've probably done something to the point where you're like, man, how did I get here? And, and how did it get this out of control? And so I bring it up because, honestly, this is exactly how sin works. I'm going to show you today. But a lot of times, the sin that messes up our lives, we get, it, we get into it so innocently. And then, you know, after some time, we look back on it and we think, what in the world? How did I get to this point? I'll show you in David's life. However, I also want to show you how forgiving God is to David. I never, never, never want to be like a preacher where people leave feeling beat and whatever because all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us, even me, the preacher, we got stuff that we're like, man, I am not, I am not happy. I'm very ashamed that I did that. So my, my sermon title is not even about David. It's actually about God. It is a God who is forgiving your redemption. Everybody say your redemption. All right. Today we're dropping in on David's life. We've seen him from a little shepherd to a warrior to, you know, trying to fight for the kingdom. But now he's about 50 years old, most scholars would say, and he is the king. 
He's the king. His troops are out at the war, but he didn't go with them. 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 2, it starts like this. You got the underlined part. It says, in the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Verse 2. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and he was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. That's weird. Now, let me explain some stuff, okay? A lot of people are like, well, the problem is that David wasn't out there fighting with his men. That's where he went wrong. And, you know, there might be some truth to that. But mind you, David is 50 years old. He's not in prime fighting shape. In fact, if you really study the Bible and keep reading, just a few chapters later, in chapter 21, his own men ask him not to fight. Because they're like, king, if you go out and you get whooped, who's going to be our king? Like, you're best. Like, we don't send our president to war. You know what I mean? So I wouldn't say that the problem is necessarily that David's not fighting. Here's the problem. The problem is that David is doing nothing. He could have at least, at least gone with the troops and, you know, given them some strategy. He was a good warrior, like a, like a head football coach on the sidelines. He's not in the game, but he's given some advice, uh, strategizing, but he stays and he has no real important thing to do at home. The text says he's just midday rest, wandering to and fro, doing this, doing that. Little did he know that as he was wandering around, he would see a beautiful lady bathing and walk straight into an affair. Now, here's the thing. I need you to see. David did not wake up thinking, you know what I'm going to do today? That's right. Affair. He didn't wake up thinking that. No. He woke up thinking, hmm, I got nothing really that I got to do today. I'm just going to. And here's what I've learned. If the Lord's not putting your hands to work, the devil will. He does. It's, it's what he always does. He's sneaky. He sneaks up. And when it comes to sin, first thing, if you're taking notes, I just want you to write this down. Sin starts sneaky. Y'all know how sometimes I try to make all my points, like, match up? Not only did I get all S's in each three points, it's literally all S's of all the words. So just the whole day. I didn't really mean to, but after I did it with the first one, I was like, challenge accepted. Okay. So hear me, because I mean this with all my heart, and I think we're at the age where we could really relate to this. I think most people fall into sin, not because they're bad. I think most people fall into sin because they're bored. Like, I think about a lot of my friends who, you know, got into bad stuff in high school. And some of them are still addicted to some of those things or whatever. I love my friends from high school. A lot of them did not get into bad things because they were bad people. They were bored people. But I've learned that the quickest way to do a bad thing is to start by doing nothing at all. So let me just give you a straight-up honest illustration of how this looks. Uh, two years into my being a youth pastor here, we went to Ignite Summer Camp. Anybody ever been to Ignite Summer Camp with us? Okay, cool. It's awesome. Um, shameless plug. Come with us and be a leader Unless you're going to be like a terrible example for the kids, then stay home. The Lord loves you, but don't pollute my students. Okay. Um, just take notes in this message. Just kidding. So, Ignite Summer Camp. We finish. It's like a four-night, five days. Does that sound right? Four, something like that. Whatever. And, and so anyway, at the end of it, 
this kid comes up to me. He's like, Pastor G, can I be honest with you? I'm like, of course. He said, I haven't gone five days without watching porn in years. He said, but I haven't watched porn at all since I've been here. How come it's easier at ignite? And I said, look, man, because every single second of your time is designated to doing something. You have time to just sit around and be the perfect candidate for, for the enemy to come up. No, no, no. You're dedicating your time to God, to good people. But if you're spending time without reason, it'll soon be spent with regret. And that's just the truth. So when you live a life, right, without purpose, kind of like David, it's not that he wasn't fighting. He shouldn't have been fighting. He's 50 years old. Give him a break. But he should have been doing something. And when you live a life without purpose, it's called being idle. Everybody say idle. Here's the definition of idle. It's on the screen. Idle means to spend time and energy doing nothing. I'm not a mechanic. In fact, whatever the opposite of a mechanic is, that's what I am. I break it. So a good example of this, though, is your car. You know, you can leave the car on and running, but it's just parked. But if the car is on and running and parked, it's in a certain mode. What mode is it in? Do you know? Idle. It's called just idling because it's running, it's using gas, but it's going nowhere. And this is what we do. We're up, we're, we're running around, we're doing something, but our time's not that purposeful. And honestly, we're not going anywhere. We're just kind of burning time. It's the perfect time for sin to sneak up on you. There's an old church saying that says the devil finds work for idle hands. He always does. The devil finds work for idle hands. So just think about your life. When you wake up, are you just waiting for work or school to start? Or do you actually like, hey, I could do something with this time that will best glorify God. And your downtime. You're getting closer from him or just doing neutral things that will eventually cause you to drift. Because you could, you know, watch a Netflix show that fuels your problems. Or you could maybe put in a podcast or a worship playlist that helps you fix your problems. It, it, it's a matter of how am I spending this time. God doesn't want your hands to just be sitting there doing nothing. Spending time with no purpose, that's idle. You're using, I almost preached a message called the idle, I-D-O-L, of idle, I-D-L-E. But I was like, that would have been like a 10-minute sermon. I don't know what to say after that. So we cut it. <laughs> but pending, okay. So here's a dumb thing I came up with, okay. Y'all know I like to make things. Listen, if I don't leave you with something you can use on Wednesday, I don't feel like I've done my job well. So the next time, you're just doing nothing. Catch yourself, and I catch myself doing it, just scrolling on Instagram, like, what am I doing? I don't want another depressing screen time notification. Your screen time was up 10%. That's shut up, okay? You know what I'm talking about? So next time you just find yourself depressing, scrolling on Instagram, or you find yourself just wasting away, thinking about all your regrets, this is what I want you to do. I want you to tell yourself, stop idling now. Everybody say, stop, stop. idling stop. now. Because when you put it together, it reminds you, wait, I'm the perfect candidate for sin to creep up on me because I'm idling now. Stop idling now. Amen? Okay. So, Colossians 3.17, last scripture I'm going to throw at you about this, says this, whatever you do and word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father. Start putting purpose to your time and know that the purpose of every single second is to glorify the Lord. Let's continue David's story. David's doing nothing, and he sees a beautiful woman. Her name is Bathsheba. Fun fact, that's my wife's middle name. That was funny. <laughs> That'd be crazy, right? It's her first name. Uh, 
Sorry, babe. They're, they're laughing at you. That's mean. Um, she's watching online. Everybody tell my wife hi. Hi. Hey, she moves home at the end of this month. Uh, yeah. Anyway, David is just sitting there, and he's lingering, and, you know, he sees a naked lady, and he just starts imagining, and his imagination leads to action. In verse five, 4 and 5, it says this. Then David sent messengers to get her, Bathsheba. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. I almost lied menstrual, but I was like, I got to grow up at some point. But I thought it would have been funny for all y'all been like, menstrual. <laughs> Someone laughed too hard at that. Then she returned home. All right, verse 5. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, Mm. She sent a message to David. It was not cryptic. It was short and sweet to the point. Saying, I'm pregnant. David knows he's the father too. He's looking for a good time. And he got an 18-year bill. Lord. She had one of your kids. Had you for 18 years. Y'all don't know that song. I ain't saying she a go. Stop. Oh. Dang it, Kanye. Okay. 18 wasn't really a thing back then. But uh, listen, listen, listen. Had David known that he was going to have a kid, he would have avoided the situation. Like, my man went from, oh, I'm having a good time to, oh, and he has a lot of logical fears. I mean, they really cared about divine love. So people are like, oh, David's thinking, what are the people going to think about me now that they know I broke divine law? Or what is this going to do to my personal family? Going to have some thoughts about that. What about her husband? Uriah was his name. What is he going to think? And so he went from having this great time to not feeling good. Why? Because the second thing is not just sin starts sneaky, but number two, sin satisfies shortly. Sin satisfies shortly. I don't care how fun your sin is. It doesn't last. There will come a day where you do have to deal with the issues. Charles Spurgeon, if you don't know who that is, there's your homework. But Charles Spurgeon said, God never lets his children sin successfully. That's good. That's all throughout the Bible. Numbers 32, tw uh, 23. But if you fail to keep your word, you will have sinned against the Lord, and you may, not, and you may be sure that your sin will find you out. Galatians 6, 7. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. See, sin always has an ending. In fact, while I was reading David's story, I couldn't help but parallel it with James 1, 14 and 15. This is what James 1, 14 and 15 says. It says, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and lure us away. And so, okay, that's David, right? He's Caesar. He's enticed. He's lured away. And then verse 15, these desires give birth to sinful act. That's David again. He's not only enticed and lured, but... They sleep together, and now the end of it is going to be the end of David's story. I'll show you later, but it says, when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to. Have you ever thought about what your sin gives birth to? Or like what your sin causes? You Maybe it's like David. It's a sexual sin, right? And at the time, you're like, oh, yeah, this is great. But really, like when the smoke cleared, the dust settled, it probably just gave birth to insecurity or baggage that you're now having to explain to somebody else. Maybe it's doing your friend wrong. And in the moment, you're like, yeah, they deserve this. I'm going to do it. But what did it give birth to? Probably a broken relationship. Maybe it's lying, right? Lying seems like a real quick way to get out of something. Oh, let me just, uh, 
But then when your sin finds you out, it gives birth to people thinking you're not a very trustable person. It's hard. Sin is always giving birth to death. Whatever it is, at some point, sin causes death. But in that moment, we're like, that's what I want. That's a good idea. It's normal. Every single one of us. Me, you, whoever's way in the back. Kate, Kate, you too. You're in the sermon now. Look at James 1.14. I want to show you one more thing. It says this. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and lure us away. Lure. You ever been fishing? I'll take you sometime, Corey. Um, i never been. He's kind of scared of the water. But it's real cute. He can't swim either. But doctor said he's real buoyant, though. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm sorry. He's a really good fisherman. You ever seen a lure, though? A lure at the end of the pool. Pole? Pool. The end of the pool. Yeah, okay. Um, don't be, your, your sin will find you out. Okay. At the end of the, the pole, right, it's typically like a little fish that looks like a snack for the big fish. And you're thinking, oh, big fish is like, I'm about to get a snack. This looks great. And then what happens? It's got a hook in its mouth and it realizes, wait, I am the snack. <laughs> That's how... No, but that's what sin does. Sin lures you in, and you're like, ooh, until you see what's on the other side of it. Every time. And a lot of us are biting into sin, then we realize we got a hook in our mouth and thought, oh, I thought I was going to have a good time, but he's having his way with me. And this is how it works. It lures us away. What we do for a moment of pleasure has a lifetime of consequence. And, and I just can't, if we just had the, the, the prayer life, not even the patience, if we had the prayer life, to step back in the middle of heated moments and say, Lord, could you please help me focus not on the short-term pleasure but on the long-term promise that following you is going to stand. But we all do it. We're lured away. And I want your life to go well. But if your life is going to go well, you've got to see the lure of sin for what it is. And let me just say this. It can look many ways. It is not just like drugs, sex, and alcohol. That is not all the lures. The thing about a lure is that it's hard to recognize. If you don't know what the possible lures that the enemy could be trying to drag you away, entice you with, you need a stronger prayer life. Because I could tell you the things that the enemy really wants to get me with. It's not just the, the ones we like to talk about in church. Some of us are biting the lure of cynicism. Thinking, oh, we're so right. I'm arguing with everyone. I just can't wait to have an argument. Go ahead, bite the lure. You're going to be all alone one day. Some of us are biting the lure of pride. You think you're so much smarter than everybody. Okay, good. Not even, why don't you think about how you could help them, not just how you could look down on them. You know what I'm saying? Like lures are they're so sneaky. Lure of selfishness. I don't really hang out with them anymore. I don't really get anything from them. That's fine, but I wish you'd think about what you could give to them because if you're only thinking about what you could get, not what you could give, you will never understand what God means when he says more blessed is it to give than it is to receive. Lures are tricky, man. You, you gotta, I got lures in my life that the enemy's trying to entice me and drag me away with all the time, and if I don't have good people around me and I don't have a strong prayer life, I'm going to end up a fool with a hook in my mouth getting dragged away from the Lord. That's, that's how it is with all of us. So what does David do? I don't have time to read the rest of the chapter, so let me just put us in David's shoes, okay? He opens a mailer. I don't know if it was a letter. It was like, I just, for some reason in my mind when I was reading, it was like a big scroll, right? He unrolls it. I'm pregnant. Like, what a waste of paper, right? I don't know. But that's all I said. 
So he reads it. <laughs> That's not funny, man. I should be serious. Josh, I like that you're back, man. You always laugh at my dumb jokes. Um, some of these people are back from college. Can we give a hand applause? I didn't think y'all fell out this quick, but I am glad you're back. Uh, so here, here's where David is. David thinks, well, you know, maybe I could cover this up. So he starts scheming, and he knows Bathsheba's husband. I told you this, Bathsheba's husband is named Uriah. The reason David knows Bathsheba's husband is because Uriah fights for David's army. Meanwhile, David's sleeping with his wife. It's, it's a whole, and, and this is random too, but actually Bathsheba was the granddaughter of one of David's favorite counselors and advisors. David stepped in a pile here. Like, it's, it's deep. But he's trying to cover up, and he thinks, well, maybe I could pull Uriah from the battlefield. I could have a talk with him. Because if she has the baby now, she knows, or Uriah's going to know it's not his. He's been at war. He, he didn't sleep with her. So he pulls Uriah, and he's like, hey, um, blah, blah, blah. He makes some stuff up. And then he's like, you know what? Before you go back to the war, why don't you go ahead and sleep with your wife? And Uriah's like, I could not do that to my men. They're out there fighting. I'm not going to go sleep with my wife. So he's like, okay, yeah, cool, cool, cool. Stay another night, stays another night, and he gets Uriah drunk. Because many a good man has slept with a woman when they were drunk. And he's like, maybe this will work. And so he gets Uriah drunk. And when Uriah's drunk, he's like, all right, man, go sleep with your wife before you get back to the battlefield. And Uriah, even drunk, is like, I can't do my guys. They're fighting. I'm not going to go enjoy myself while they're fighting. And the irony of this chapter is that Uriah is a better man drunk than David is sober. And you're like, God, like his character is good. He's a good man. So David sends Uriah back to the war knowing that Uriah never went to sleep with Bathsheba. And now David only has one option left to cover up his mistakes. He decides to put Uriah on the front lines of the battle. Because if you're on the front, you're pretty much always going to die. So he does that. He sends him off to war. And uh, Uriah sure enough dies. And so now, David can at least marry Bathsheba, his, Uriah's widowed wife, without it looking as sketchy. But I need to show you something. You need to see how David's sin just kept building up. If you were to take the Ten Commandments, right, several of them are about God, our relationship with God. But then, I think, it's either four or six. I know I should know that because I'm a pastor, but I'm, I had my blood taken. Have some mercy on me. Okay. They're about our relationship with another. And if you just go through this one chapter, look how quickly and subtly David starts to break each of the commandments that deal with your other. One, you shouldn't covet your neighbor's wife. He broke that one. Two, don't commit adultery. He broke that one. Three, don't bear false witness. He lies to Uriah. And four, he eventually murders Uriah. He did not want to do all that. That's what I'm trying to get across. He started his day out innocently with the, with the little stroll, but now he's like, whoa, this got out of control. One thing led to another, and it wasn't just that sin starts sneaky or sin satisfies shortly, but the third and last thing is sin spreads severely. It always does. Don't ever take sin lightly. We know this from the time we're little. When you're little, you do something wrong, you sin. Your mom's like, did you do that? Mm-mm. You lie. Then they get you in trouble, they ground you, and you get all disrespectful. Y'all are the worst parents ever. 
It just, it's a slippery slope. The second it starts sneaking up, you got to say, uh-uh, no, 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 no. Sin is a wildfire, and we're best to put it out while it's just a spark. But the title of my message is A God Who's Forgiving. So let me stop talking about David. Let me talk about God. What does God do? Well, eventually David gets caught, right? The prophet, uh, Nathan, I think, is like, basically exposes him and David still ends up marrying Bathsheba, but God gives him a punishment. The punishment's pretty harsh. God doesn't let their child live. But I need to show you something. You ready? 2 Samuel 12, 15 says this. The Lord sent a deadly illness to the child of David and Uriah's wife. Obviously, David and Bathsheba are heartbroken. But watch how the story ends. It's very subtle, but it's very important. Verse 24 then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and he slept with her. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and David named him Solomon. The Lord loved that child. Did you catch that? Hey, will you put verse 15 back up one more time? Just go back one. Yeah, okay. So, so watch. Lord sent a de deadly illness to the child of David and who? Uriah's wife. Then they had to endure the consequences they, they endured the consequences of their sin. Then 24. Then David comforted Bathsheba. His, you see that? Verse 15, she's Uriah's wife. Goes through the consequence. Verse 24, she's David's wife. Listen, there will always be consequence for sin. But God is always ready to look at you, forgive you, give you a new name, a new identity, and say, let's try this again the right way. Every time. He's so full of grace. And I almost missed it. Had it not been for a commentary, I would have never seen the fact that Bathsheba, after undergoing that, gets a new name. She's now officially David's wife. It just, he's so full of grace. He's so full of love. And when you talk about sin, I never want to be that crazy hard on, on like people. I always talk about sin because it's important to talk about, but I don't be hard on people because guess what? You know sin screwed your life up. I know sin screwed my life up. I could look at things I've damaged because I had too much pride. People I'll never be close to again because I was rude or, you know, just we know the consequence of sin but there's always grace for us. Jesus always stands willing and able to give us a new start. How? Let me show you one more thing really cool. I told you earlier that King David sent Uriah out to the battlefield to die and uh, when he did that, you know, he's trying to cover up his mistakes. Uriah died at that battle. And this is what they sent back. It was a report on the battle, 2 Samuel 11:24b. It says, some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. It's jacked up. David, ooh, listen. David was an imperfect king, and he sentenced his servants to death to cover up his mistakes. But the Bible is one big story, and it always points to Jesus. If you don't let it point to Jesus, you're not reading it right. David was an imperfect king who sentenced his servants to death so he could cover his own sin. But Jesus was the final David. Jesus was the one true king who sentenced himself to death to cover his servant's sin. It's all backwards. It's all backwards. He always does it. You can see Jesus on every page. Listen. Through Jesus' death on the cross, you can have a new start, a new name. Jesus forgives you. Jesus, if you really know his grace and his love, he will make you a new person from the inside out. Like, he doesn't just make your behavior better. He changes your heart. 
And it's slow. It's slow. But when you look at the cross and you really see the cross, you see two things. And I'll say it till, I, till I'm done preaching. You see, first of all, I'm that sinful. He had to die for me. Yes, we all are. But you also see, I'm that loved. He was glad to die for me. And when you could get both things, not from here. I don't care if you know and you can write a little, little paper. Good, good job. Gold star. When it goes from here to here, like, Lord, I don't deserve your grace. I don't deserve your love. I don't deserve your mercy. That was, he didn't die for you. He died in your place. Imagine like, like you know, the, the hammer coming to your wrist with the nail. And in the nick of time, he moved it. That gives you a more realistic, you know, understanding of what he did. It wasn't just, oh, Jesus died for me. No, 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 Jesus hopped on the cross when it should have been you on the cross, me on the cross, because we're that bad. And if you don't think you're that bad, you're always going to trust your own way. You're always going to think, I can figure out life on my own. No, when we try to figure out life on our own, we get sin, we get death. But Jesus said, even though that's what you should have got, let me get on the cross so you know, yeah, you're that bad, but you're also this love. Trust me. Trust my love. Trust my grace. Let me give you a new start. And Jesus is asking people today, let him give you a new start. Let him change your name. Let him change your identity. Yeah, sin starts sneaky. Sin uh, satisfies shortly. Sin spreads severely. But Jesus washed sin away. So, yay. Let's believe that. Let's live that. Think. All right. Bow your head. Close your eyes. Let's pray. Thanks so much for listening. If you live in the Victoria area, stop by one of our services. Church is way better with people. So if you're between the ages of 18 to 29, check out our Instagram at ffc.ya. All of our service info is there. And if you're 6th through 12th grade, check out our Instagram at ffc.sm. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. And even more, I hope it brought you closer to God. Have a great day.